as we were in worship, I looked up and saw <clears throat> Brendan raising his hands. And um, we can never tell the story too often that uh, um, Connie's grandmother, grandmother, great-grandmother, great, yes, yeah, several down there, yeah. And Phyllis and I, and of course some other people, but we were at the hospital, and um, he had literally got run over, a car ran over his head accidentally, and uh, just in the driveway, and uh, the doctors did not even give him much of a chance to live. And um, hope against hope, we prayed. We were there till the wee hours in the morning. We were driving home, and it was daylight, so we were there through the night with, um, with Brennan's mom and dad. And um, the Lord does things. It's just a reminder. He does impossible things, okay? With us, it's impossible, but with him, all things are possible. And so... Uh, can we give the testimonies too often? No, we can. And uh, the room is full of uh, testimonies and stories of, uh, of you all, the things the Lord has done. So it's so good to have Brendan and uh, Chris with us. They, they've stayed connected with, with us. Uh, and um, <clears throat> the Lord has worked all things together for good, huh? For both of them and they live in texas and so um but they still stay connected listen to the podcast sometimes and and uh so it's it's neat our our family is extended and um so it's just always nice when they come back and and uh, are here with us so appreciate appreciate them so much um let's turn to psalms 138. The church... There's the universal church, but every local expression of that church is so, um, there's such a dynamic. Again, let's talk more about that um, and remind each other of the dynamic that takes place when the body, the members of the body come together and, and we're, we're physically in the same place and we interact with each other. And sometimes it's even messy and difficult and inconvenient and uh, hot and cold and all of those things that cause us to go, yuck, you know, that's hard, it's hard, it's hard. And yet there's something when you read the scriptures and read the Apostle Paul talking about the function of the body and the gifts. And we have individual gifts of the Spirit that manifest in us and we function in. But when we come together, those gifts are all joined. And as much as possible, I know the Holy Spirit works so that all of those, all of those gifts of the Spirit, and there's more than just the nine, there are many gifts, and they come together and... If you can dream with me, there, there's a dynamic that happens and should happen even more. And we gather and we're just people and we're friends and we talk and we chat and we, you know, we, we see each other and counter each other. But don't forget and don't underestimate the power of the, the supernatural dynamic of us gathering and in these days, even more so, we need to gather and we need that manifestation. Yeah. And uh, I, I just love, you know, Ke yeah, Kevin and Kevin interacting with me up front in worship, like, yeah, it's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's, it's wonderful. Like, 
And when we start doing that, don't you feel something? Like when you, you know it's not planned, it just starts happening. And, and, and we contribute and we speak something. And we're, we're all here in our human weaknesses and our stuff and our whatever. And, then, and yet through that and bypassing all those things, the Lord does things. Often over the years, there's as much or more ministry that goes on just among you. Someone coming over and sharing a word, an impression, a feeling they have, a blessing. It's just as powerful as anything that ever happens up front. Because we're a body. If it happens in the foyer, if it happens in the parking lot, if it does, it doesn't matter that we, we get it all packaged what matters is that we realize uh, what's in us. It's about what's in us. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than me. And when I, I and which is often that I get focused on what I'm to do, what I can do, how I can do that, whether I have the wherewithal to do anything, I just keep coming back to this, that it's, it's all about him. And that he's the initiator. There's nothing that I embark on that is, when it comes to the Lord and trying to find his will, that's, that's me. He, he initiates. He, uh, this song, Reckless Love, like such a great picture of he pursued you. You didn't Go out and find him. Wake up one morning. I want to find God. Like, you know. Actually, you're not able to. You must be found by him. You don't find him unless his spirit breathes on you. We, we, are, we are more incapable than we can even imagine to do this or to do that. It's the grace of God that comes, the grace of God that finds us, the grace of God that gave you new birth, and the grace of God that will see you through to the end. Got it? Like, do you really got it? So this worry and uh, infatuation that we, uh, that we often have with obstacles and hindrances, physical limitations... All of those things, they're all trumped by a, not just a power that's in heaven, but an intention that's from heaven. He sends his word to us from heaven, and it will not return to him void without accomplishing what it was sent to do. And his word in many ways has been sent to you. He knows what I don't know. He sees what the person sitting beside you doesn't see. He perceives your beginning. He perceives your ending. He perceives the in-between. And he alone is able to work in the fabric of everything else that happens, uh, work that into something beautiful, purposeful, something eternal. And... Uh, one of the big regrets we'll have when we get to heaven is all the worrying. <laughs> yeah? What a waste of time. I thank you, Lord, in verse, uh, chapter 138, verse 1. I've been using this as my, from my comfort text. Um, you can get those every weekday um, in the morning. Lacey usually gets those sent out by around 8 o'clock, and uh, you can sign up for those. I always just try to, I just pray. I just like give this to the Lord and I'll get feedback. Like that was perfect. That was this, that was, and it's just, there's no way of knowing that. You just, you just look for something, wait on the Lord. And the s silliest things sometimes direct my heart or direct a decision. And yet it's the Lord that works in all those things. Um, and, and, and there's a purpose. And I've been in this, this chapter I thank you, Lord, with all the passion of my heart, I worship you in the presence of angels. Heaven's mighty ones will hear my voice. 
in the Hebrew, uh, heaven's mighty ones is this word or name. We have it in our foyer, Elohim. And the name Elohim singular is God, but the word Elohim plural is God's. And this also shows up, I believe, in Psalms 82, um, that the translators aren't real comfortable with this. They just aren't. However, it's very possibly beyond angels. And why not Elohim singular, God, is able to create and do whatever he wants. We keep trying to get everything refined down to this understandable, believable world, huh? realm. And if we can't get our minds around it, we tend to start trimming off the edges. We tend, we're just prone to, let's get this so we can understand it, yeah? Uh, let's get this reduced down. That It couldn't be that. I, I don't understand that. And so we want to always take care to allow God to be God and allow mysteries to be mysteries. I give you permission to not understand everything. That's a very liberating thought as a Christian. When you become a believer, you start following Jesus, and then you're expected to know everything. It's like, mm-hmm. just kind of laugh at that. I don't know. I don't know much. That uh, pressure that you should have answers for everything can get you in a lot of trouble. You can make assumptions. You do make assumptions. You're asked, there's an expectation that you know the answer, and out it comes. And heaven's watching, going, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Nope, not a clue. So I live in the grace of God that often, 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 I blurt out my opinions about something. I can sound like I know what I'm talking about or that something is real or right, And I've learned as I get older to be very careful with what I think I know. That's quite liberating. I mean, it can be about anything in life that everybody has an opinion about. Do you know it's very liberating to say, I don't actually know that. I, I, I know we think we know, but I don't know. I don't actually know. I don't know the person. I don't know what they're thinking. I don't know the situation, not for real. I'm not studied to the top and the depth and the breadth and the width of, of, of things. And so it's okay to go, I don't know. We, sh- we can look into that. We can, well, so-and-so said. It's like, okay. And then that needs checked and affirmed and reaffirmed. And uh, you know, just because the weatherman says it's going to rain, does it? So there are many things, and it's liberating to just come to a place where you, you don't know what you don't know. What you do know, you say with confidence. I've come to the place of, of realizing there are things that I believe, and I'm allowed to just say what I believe. And if I can't physically prove what I believe, it's okay. I'm still allowed to say, I believe this. When I categorize it that way. Until Jesus reveals himself to somebody, I can't prove anything about him. I have a story. I have a testimony. I'm good with my story. Hopefully you're good with your story. It may not, may, it may not be believable to somebody else. It may not be believable that Brendan was lying in a hospital bed as an infant, as very young, and did not have much of a chance to live through it. But he did. I get to point to him physically, say, here he is, here he stands. Here he stands in worship, raising his hands. And that's my story. And there are several of us that saw him in the state that he was in. 
if I just told you the story and you just see the, then you'd be like, I don't believe it. It's like, I saw it. It was there. I remember. When you worship, all of the host of heaven sees. When you choose to worship the Lord God, every other entity, whatever's there, however big and encompassing heaven is, I don't have to reduce it. I can just let it be. I don't know for sure what everything is. But it matters to the Lord and it gives testimony to him when we choose him. Heaven watches that. They do. When you come to a place that you're going to worship and bow down, heaven sees that. And, he, and he, the psalmist says, I sing my loving praise to you. In verse 2, I bow down before your divine presence and bring you my deepest worship as I experience your tender love and your loving truth. For the promises of your word and the fame of your name have been magnified above all else. So come, magnify the Lord with me. How do we magnify him? Do we pull out a looking glass and magnify it? We magnify the Lord by telling our story. We magnify the Lord by telling what we know. You don't have to tell what you don't know. But you do have a story. And when you tell your story, it magnifies him. When you reveal the truth about him, it magnifies him and it becomes more. When you worship, and I, I really... Stopped here when I used this scripture um, earlier this week and, and wrote it out. I, I bowed down before the divine presence and I went, you know, again, confession. If I can make confessions, then you can make confessions. I come and do church. I lead worship. I do this. I do that. Okay. I pray. But all of a sudden, after I wrote it down, wrote down the, the, uh, the comfort text that day, I realized it's been a while since I just got down and worshipped. From my Christian background and the, and the group that I got saved under, worship was just like in the vocabulary, but we never practiced it. As a matter of fact, if in a church service, what I came out of, if someone would have actually walked up front during our hymns, which are fine, full of great words, great concepts, and knelt down, bowed down on the front, in the front, you know, Ushers would have probably been sent for them. Yeah? You realize that? Here we were, a Bible-believing church. Come to Jesus. You can get saved. You can dedicate your life. You can become a missionary. You can go into the ministry. Um, and after that, it's about, and then you can redo all those three, you know, those things. Repeat. Pete and repeat got in a boat. Pete got out. Who, who was left? Repeat. You know, that, that thing. And much of, of our, my experience was like that, you know. And then add in, you can have devotions. Devotions. Devotions are good. Devotions are great, but, but it was, there was no concept of this. We only were aware of rules and how to look like a Christian. Cut your hair this way, keep it off, you know, for guys, keep it off your ears, off your collar, you know. And there was this great emphasis on how you looked and, and how you behaved and, and what you did and what you didn't do. And dress like this and don't dress like that. Meanwhile, there's a picture of Jesus on the back wall, his long hair in a robe with sandals. They would have not let him in the building. That's the oxymoron of, of religion, isn't it? And if you're not careful, since that's way back in my past, I have often come to a, uh, many junctures where I want, uh, I have the spirit going, careful, 
remember where you came from. You're about to enter into the same thing. It's always that legalism, that way of looking at things, that, that desire. You've got a problem. Let's fix it with a rule. Yeah? Let's fix it with, with, with this, with a, a limitation. Then we'll get everybody to act better and be, be better. But all of that comes out of the spirit, not out of applying more rules and more limitations. I got, I was alone that night in my office, my study. Phyllis wasn't in, I don't know where she was. But anyways, I, I got done and I, and I went, I just was convicted like, I just need to bow down. I, I did, and I did. I just bowed down. I just got down and just, just in a position of worship. I mean, there's a difference. You can lay on the floor and rest your back, or you can lay on the floor in God's presence. Why? It's, a same, it's the same thing. But when you do it before the Lord, I remember the first that I just laid out prostate on the floor before the Lord, and my, my flesh was having an issue with it. You know, there was kind of like this thing going on in me, like, ha, ha, ha. you felt this panic, like, whoa, 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 what are we doing, you know? And it's like, this is stupid. I do this all the time. Every night I go to bed, I lay down. I lay on my, you know, I lay face down. I lay, what, you know, it's not a big deal until it's before the Lord. Then all of a sudden, something inside of me that wasn't good is screaming like, ah, we might die, maybe, you know? It was funny. I actually surprised myself at what was in there that was struggling with this uh, expression of worship. And I was, as I was preparing, I remember, wow, I've come a long way. I mean, this was a foreign thing to even do. We didn't even know what that was. It was kind of in the vocabulary, but... We didn't have a clue. There was no definition of what, what worship actually is. This is praise. Yeah. That was, a big, that was a big step. Raising my hands, if you understood where I came from. Again, you probably would have been escorted out of the chapel or the church or wherever if you stood and did that in the day. Good Bible-believing people. Like, hey, 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 what are you doing? I mean, the... The, the song leader may have just kind of stopped the song, just like, well, what are you doing? You know, that was that foreign. No, it's a, a common expression for us. This is praise, but this is worship. It's, it's more than just kneeling down to pick up something off the floor. All of a sudden, it's a whole expression, and you don't have to say a word. It's just you giving honor to the one. Heaven knows this language. Heaven looks down. Don't you ever think no one sees those expressions that you do and you may do in secret. It counts. It doesn't have to be seen by men to count. It doesn't have to be acknowledged somewhere. You don't need a trophy for it. You don't need a ribbon for it. You don't need a plaque on the wall for it, for it to count. Heaven sees those things. It counts and it counts big. It's not about long prayers. It's not about great expressions. It's not about whether you can sing or you can't sing. When you do these things before the Lord, they matter. It's so easy to read over the words, reading a psalm, or reading another scripture. But to put, I would encourage you, are you worshiping? There are other religions that have more expressions of worship than we do, which I'm like, what the heck? I mean, that in itself should kind of incite a little bit of stuff in you, like, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. We, we claim to know the truth, yeah? We have our Bibles, yeah? 
And, and yet often they'll outdo us in some of those things. And I don't know, is that why we don't do it? Like that's a bad excuse. We, because of the spirit and because of our faith, doing it in faith, we are able to do the real thing. If you do it in sincerity and purity, heaven opens up for you. So there is a reciprocal effect. It shouldn't be the reason you do it initially, but sometimes you're asking the Lord for things that are difficult. Mountains, those, I referred to this recently, the stubborn mountains. You can say to this mountain, get up, be removed, get cast into the sea. Mark 11, and then you come and you go, uh, I tried that. I did that. You know, that's the worst thing that happens to us. Uh, I did that. Nothing happened. Well, some of us just have some stubborn mountains, but they do have to go. You just have to be more stubborn and persistent about it than that mountain. The disciples were confused. Why couldn't we cast this demon out? Jesus said, just pray and fast. Like, just do this. Add this to what you were doing, and you'll be able to. Just do this. Just find me. Come back at it and go, huh, something might not have, must not have been quite right. You do this with other things in life, yeah? You fix something or you or try to fix something. It doesn't work. You go, what did I do wrong? Oh, I didn't line this up. I didn't add this. I didn't do this. I was cooking. I forgot the salt. I forgot an element, an ingredient, and it tastes bad. What do you do? Get it right next time. And you might have to do it again. The persistent end up accomplishing the task. So what if they, they go, they count the cost for accomplishing that task, just now that I'm on the baking issue, and it's in my mind anyways. So you make something, and it doesn't turn out well the first time. If you're persistent and you really want to get to the goal, you just start over. It's, it's grieving. It's like, oh, right? Oh. I have to go back out and get more eggs. I have to do this. I have to get that. I, don't, I just use my last cup of this or that. But if you want to get to that goal, you go restock your stuff and you go, here we go. I'm doing this again. Fire up the stove, get the bowl out and go after it. And this time I'm going to remember all of the ingredients. This time I'm going to get it right. This time I'm going to set the temperature right. That was too hot. That was too cold. That was this. This was that. Okay. We've got to adopt this because we keep trying something it doesn't work and we go and we go like this and then good leaders like myself get tempted to teach you how to cope with what didn't go well I don't want to be that person I've been that person sometimes I've, I've said this, I don't, I don't want to get better at doing funerals. I want to get better at resurrections. That's the goal, yeah? You, like, you go through a funeral, and they're tough, and they are important. They're important. They're important to handle in the right way. I mean, they're real loss. There's real heartache. They're real issues. It's, you know, you're really honoring a person's life. But I, I really want to get good at resurrections. I want to, I want to get, I want to get, Let's move over here and let's, let's learn this thing. This thing I'm not doing well at all. I may have done a good funeral service, but I, I'm really not doing well over here. If you worship, bow down in his presence. Bring your deepest worship as you experience as you, uh, lost my place. 
as I experience your tender love and your loving and your living truth. So the psalmist is saying, I'm experiencing this. And of course, I'm, I'm in the Passion Translation. For promise, the promises of your word and the fame of your name have been magnified above all else. Verse 3, at that very moment I called out to you, you answered me, you strengthened me deep within my soul. And breathe fresh courage into me. How many of you need some fresh courage? It's okay. It's not about needing it that's the problem. It's about not believing you can ask for it. That's the problem. It's about believing that you have to be brave in yourself or you need to. And it takes courage to face the things in life. Again, we're good at coping. We're not good at facing things. Much of our behavior in our culture are coping mechanisms. We've learned how to, to deal with things by coping with them. There's a way life, the, the ones, the, those who are truly living and alive, learn how to overcome obstacles. They make the best of situations. They don't cope. They overcome. They conquer. They continue to achieve and continue to create and continue to get past all these obstacles. One day, all the kings of the earth will rise to give you thanks when they hear the living words that I have have heard that that I have heard you speak they too will sing of your wonderful ways for your ineffable big word I had to look it up indescribable glory is great your indescribable glory is great again Christianity is living often we're living in a defeated mentality like we're alone no one knows about this we you know we're the we'll say it about ourselves i'm weird see you'll say that about your spirituality or if you're talking about our church service it's kind of different it's weird it's like is it should you really say that what if this is normal and that's different how about that and actually, the world sometimes is doing better at this than we are. I just heard the guys talking, Kenny and Brent were talking about, you know, music and musicians and whatever. And, and I heard something. I went, what? Mick Jagger is still performing at 80 years old. Is that correct? All right, hold the phone. What does he know that I don't have? He, he doesn't have my stuff. He doesn't have my resources. And he's still tearing it up like, wow. He's like, you know, not somebody I listen to. But I am impressed with <laughs> And you're like, that's good, Pastor. You know, but I am impressed with this. He's still putting it down at 80? Like, oh, my Gosh, yeah, why not? Who said you should retire? Who, we, you know, don't we need a flip in this mindset of ours? So, you're at this age. So? I was talking to an audiologist, and she told me, you don't lose your hearing from age, from growing older. Very little. Very, very, very little. It's always from damage. It's always from, from things that damage your hearing. That's why you lose your hearing. Like, really? Well, then you think of all the ways that we damage our hearing. Don't, don't concede to this getting older, out of it thing, concept. Remember when we were young, if you were 30, you were over the whatever, and now 30 is like, whew, 
you passed that so long ago that you can't even see it in the rearview mirror anymore, you know? But inside, you're still that person. Like, if you notice your inside doesn't age with your outside? That was a, no one warned me about that. You know, I mean, you got to you think, well, I'll go, I'll feel inside the way I look outside. I, and I'm like, huh. Who told me that lie? Where did I get that at? And so much of how we do everything has to do with how we look at it, what we believe. And learning how to worship. I wonder what would break loose in your life if you would practice this, this worship that's described here, bowing down in the divine presence and, and bringing your deepest worship. In worship, you're not asking for things. You understand? We need to get this. Praise is, you know, like, up and we're attributing and 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 then our supplications is asking for things that's it's all good it's all scripture worship is when that all ends and you come to this place where you're you're giving it up with or without words you're take you take a position of unto you O lord you 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 give a claim and it has value in heaven. You go, well, I'm, you know, what significance do I have? You actually have a lot. And when you, created in his image, make a choice to give worship to worship, it matters. It affects things. For though you are lofty and exalted, you stoop to embrace the lowly, yet you keep your distance from those filled with pride. So another key, lose the pride. Come live in, you know, you can live in humility. It's a whole different position and a lot less stressful than that other thing where you're trying to keep up appearances and trying to be better than everybody else and you know, competing for everything from attention to money. There, there's a way to, to come low where it's not about thinking badly of yourself. It's just about losing that arrogance and that I'm better. By your mighty power, I can walk through any devastation. Now, I'm going to read something, and then I'm going to give you an example of this. By your mighty power, in verse 7, I can walk through any devastation, and you will keep me alive, reviving me. Your power set me free from the hatred of my enemies. You keep every promise you've ever made to me, since your love for me is constant and endless. I ask you, Lord, to finish every good thing you've begun in me. Remember Philippians? that he will finish everything, whatever he started in you, he will finish to the end. So I've been uh, enjoying reading uh, the American, American history, the miracle of American history, uh, through the eyes of Michael Medved, who realizes God has been behind the whole, uh, the beginning and end of our country in a very sovereign way. And I began to read about uh, George Washington. And the more I read and the more I learned, I knew a little. I, I didn't know much in comparison with what I've learned. And what was on him. George Washington knew that there was a sovereign grace of protection on his life. He confessed it all the time. The miraculous care of providence is how they express this. Protected me beyond all human expectation. That's a quote from George Washington. 
He rises up, was from Virginia. This is way pre-Revolutionary War. He got involved, uh, he's in his early 20s, and he becomes a soldier. And almost immediately, he stands out. He's taller than everyone else, which is wonderful until it makes you a better target than anybody else. And then put him on a horse. And it was very noteworthy that he was a head taller than almost everybody else around him, which in battle and in war, that's like, oh, get the, get the tall guy. Like, you know, he sticks out. We can see him. Sticks out like a sore thumb. Put the jacket on him. There were so many things that took place. Uh, at one point, um, he, began, he begins to travel. He, he gets all the way here to Ohio, and we don't realize the conflict that was going on in what we call our nation now, the French, and then the French were recruiting um, the, uh, the Indians as mercenaries um, and giving them weapons and having them fight with them. So that was really probably what stirred a lot of the conflict with the Indians was, was this. And the whole center of our nation was largely controlled by the French. It's only by the grace of God that it, from coast to coast, that, that we inherited, we have this whole United States. Because it was very divided and occupied. And George Washington, as a very young soldier, was sent into this region, very region, to uh, visit forts where there were um, uh, strongholds of the French to serve them notice. And they told him to go pound sand and sent him back. And you tell them, we're not going anywhere. We're, we're staying here. And so there had to be battles fought, uh, Fort Duquesne, Pittsburgh, that whole area, the Monongahela. Um, at one point, a General Braddock came over from Britain and, and recruited George Washington to uh, come with him, and except it was against regulations, he would have given him an office. And, and through that campaign, he stood beside Braddock, was very faithful, but Braddock died in that. Like at the end of that battle, he died. There, it was very brutal. There were so many defeats, even in George Washington and things he was involved in. It was amazing what went bad, and yet he kept going. He had this, this favor. They were trying to take him out. Some of the things that he went up against were impossible. But he just had this, this thing about him. He was brave. He was courageous. And he, he recognized he had the Lord's sovereign protection on him that kept him from being killed. He makes this statement, facing the first real battle of his military career, he famously observed, I heard the bullets whistle, and believe me, there is something charming in the sound. Ah, oh, gosh. I, I heard a bullet whistle over my head one time. I, I don't remember any charming, warm, fuzzy feelings about it. Like, like you just go, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. His mother makes a trip. Everybody's got a mother. Mother that comes, tries to stop him from putting his life in danger. She travels two, two uh, days to get to him when she finally does. She comes to plead with him to avoid danger and remain at Mount Vernon. His response reflected his already solid faith in his own supernatural protection. He comes back at her with this because she's the one that probably instilled it in him. <laughs> That's what's great about this. The God to whom you commended me, madam, when I set out upon a more perilous errand, defended me from all harm, and I trust he will do so now. Do not you think the same thing, mother? Yeah, what, yeah what's a poor mother to do? Trying her best, he uses words, her words on him, or back on her. 
Tearfully, she relented with his blessings. You can be useful, a useful man, man in war as in peace, and without it, you can expect nothing. So without the sovereignty, it won't matter whether you're in danger or in peace. If the, you have that protection from the Lord, you will live. And if you don't have it, even if you're at peace, you will die. To live like this, we need a little of this. We get so careful and paranoid, we, we need this. This is your inheritance. This is about being an, this is what's in your DNA about being from being an American, as being an American. These were our forefathers, and this sovereignty was on him at a very, very young age. So I want to get to this climax of this story. There was a man that traveled with him. He was actually a doctor. His name was James C-R-A-I-K. So however you pronounce that, I'm not sure. He was a lifelong friend, and he was a devoted um, physician. There was actually a play later after George Washington's life called uh, The Indian Prophecy or Visions of Glory. And it started to, uh, the play went on after in the 1800s, it, they traveled and put on this play to talk about, tell the story of George Washington. The Indian Prophecy came about... Um, they had, he had traveled with this crack, this, they traveled together a lot, the physician, to West Virginia, to the hills of West Virginia. When they got there, they, were, they had begun to prepare for dinner one afternoon when a party of Indians led by a trader approached their fire. The trader, fluent in English and the native language, introduced the oldest member of his party as a grand... Uh, Sakum, which would mean Indian chief, if I understand this right, who had made a special journey when he learned that Colonel Washington was in the vicinity, according to Crack's story, as related by Custis, who wrote the play. This aging chief preserved toward, persevered toward Colonel Washington the most reverential deference, like he reverenced him. It was in vain that the colonel extended his hand. The Indian drew back with the most impressive marks of awe and respect, like, I'm not worthy to shake your hand, that kind of response. Eventually, as the visiting Indians joined the Virginians for their evening meal, Washington and Crack offered the uh, ardent spirits, so that must have been something with spirits in it, huh? Um, drink, which the, uh, what the Indians loved. They delighted them. But this time the great chief bowed his head in submission, but wetted not his lips. In other words, he didn't drink anything. Finally, as the council fire roared, he addressed our Washington. And here's what he said. I am a chief and the ruler over many tribes. I have traveled a long and weary path that I might see the young warrior of the great battle. It was on the day when the white man's blood mixed with the streams of our forest that I first beheld this chief. I called to my young men and said, mark yon tall and daring warrior. He is not of the red coat tribe. He hath an Indian's wisdom, and his warriors fight as we do. Himself is alone exposed. Quick, let your aim be certain, and he dies. Our rifles were leveled. In other words, they intended to shoot him. Our rifles were leveled. Rifles which, but, but for him, Know not how to miss. In other words, these rifles always hit the mark, right? Got it? But it was all in vain to aim at him and try to shoot him. A power mightier far than we shielded him from harm. 
He cannot die in battle. I am old and soon shall be gathered to the great council fire of my fathers in the land of shades. But ere I go, there is something bids me speak in the voice of prophecy. Listen, this is an Indian, an Indian chief. The great spirit protects that man and guides his destinies. He will become the chief of nations and a people yet unborn will hail him as the founder of a mighty empire. All that to say, if the Lord's favor is on someone, and if that someone, if that person recognizes, and George Washington recognized this, yes, there's a sovereign protection over me, but he believed it was directly um, related to his destiny, to his purpose. It is on me because of my purpose, not because I'm special, but because I have a purpose. I have a destiny to fulfill. And he was on that mission from a very young man. And there was a favor on him. He should have been killed. Not, I heard, you know, a little of this. It was his entire life. He, he got sick. He, he struck everything that happened, but he kept persevering, kept going, and kept living. They couldn't, they couldn't take him down. Nothing could. Just pers- persevered through till he became the president of our nation and founder in that sense. Reading again this passage at the end of the psalm, by your mighty power I can walk through any devastation and you will keep me alive, reviving me. Your power set me free from the hatred of my enemies. You keep every promise you've ever made to me since your love for me is constant and endless. I ask you, Lord, to finish every good thing that could that you've begun in me. And so that passage applies to a person like George Washington. It applies to you once you recognize your destiny and your purpose and you set your heart to fulfill it, I believe that you can experience the same thing. It's not that it's, it's select in that sense. It's about understanding what you're here for. It's about getting all of that in perspective and, and allowing God to be God sovereign. He, he chooses you for a purpose, for a destiny. And your job is to find that and understand that and flow with that. And if you find that and attach yourself to it, you'll be protected. And if you get disconnected with it, you're in danger. You can go save, save yourself and you'll lose, Jesus said. Whoever tries to save his life will lose his life, but he who gives his life will save it. So don't hold back. Don't hold back in your worship. Don't hold back in what you give the Lord. Don't hold back. Don't do that. Amen. Let's, uh, could you turn some music on, Aiden, back there? And uh, I just want to give another invitation for prayer. Uh, If you still have some mountain or obstacle that is just won't move or budge don't hesitate to come to get prayer again for it maybe you just need to come and bow down that it's been a long time and maybe never that you came and just bowed in worship where you don't ask a thing you just you just worship him see we can't we can't dare just be a church that talks about stuff. We have to demonstrate things. We have to, there's, there are actions. There are things to do as the Lord indicates. And those, those acts open up the door. Many people that uh, operate in faith, healing, and ministry I encourage people, now that I've prayed for you, move that arm, stand up, add an action 
to this prayer and see what happens. Like, it doesn't make sense. It's not logical. And often people's testimony will be, I, did, I didn't feel a thing until I, until I stood up. Rise, take up your bed and walk. Do you think that lame man felt healed laying on his cot? I mean, I never thought about it, but probably not. So when Jesus said, get up, he's laying there going, but I can't. I'm lame, remember? Here's my sign. Commands them to see, uh, I'm blind, hello, you know. The poor deaf man can't even hear the command, you know, like where the impossible becomes possible and it happens with us as we step out, as we just make choices to worship, make choices to ask the Lord, make choices to say, I'm going to stand and face this mountain down. It will not win. It won't win over me. It won't win over my family. It won't win over my church. It won't win. It won't win over my country. I'm going to stand. So come if you want prayer today. If you need to leave, that's fine. Bless all of you. Let's pray. And then if you want prayer, come up. Father, in Jesus' name, I just ask your blessing over this word. And just stir up in us, Lord, this ability to worship you, this ability to come and bring you what you're worthy of. of. And Lord, attached to it are all these promises that you'll make me strong, that you'll give me courage, that you'll, you'll, you'll manifest your presence to me. I will know you're real. You always reciprocate. You ask us to Step out, and then you catch us in that step. Then you deliver us as we turn our face towards the deliverer. You might have a situation that you just need to offer to the Lord. It may take all of the, all the fortitude of faith that you possibly can muster to to dare to believe that the Lord will take care of it. I've, I've had those things. It was, it was I, my heart fainted like, am I going to have to believe for that? But when I step out, that's what opens up the door. And the Lord, sure enough, has been faithful my entire life. Bless you, Lord. So come if you want in prayer and be blessed. team. Thanks, Kevin, for stopping in the one song. So I think sometimes we need repositioned for something to go for a, from a song to an experience. And we need to reposition ourselves sometimes in communion, reposition our thoughts and minds from this to go to something that's a ritual to an experience with God. Part of knowing the power of communion and really part of knowing that with God all things are possible is knowing without any doubt who Jesus was and who Jesus is. And it's written in the scriptures as he stood before Pilate. It's written in John 1. It's written in Hebrews 1. Since we've been in Colossians for a couple weeks, I want to read from Colossians 1 verses 16 through 19 it says for in him all things were created things in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority all things have been created through him and all things have been created for him he is before all things and in him all things hold together he is the head of the body the church he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. 
for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Jesus pre-existed even creation. He is God, as Rick just said. He was with God. He breathed life into the universe, and he can breathe life into you. New life. There's power in knowing the truth. There's power in knowing that with God all things are possible. There's power in your faith. And there's power in communing with the king of the universe. So come this morning, take the bread and the cup, and have an experience with the king. Amen?